Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. The words are, again, Luke 9, 21 to 27, printed in your bulletin. You can grab a pew Bible or use your own. Listen as I read. And he, Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we are very grateful that you've given us your holy word. We're grateful for Jesus, who is the word. We're grateful, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate these words in our hearts and minds. And I would pray now for that power. I would pray that you would impress upon us something new of your glory, that we would be amazed at the cross of Jesus. God, there are so many things that are tempting us even now to be distracted, uh, to not listen, to wander. I pray, God, that you would draw us in and that we would be present and we could sense your presence and that you would be honored by all that I say and that you'd be honored by the way in which we listen and that as a result of your powerful work, Holy Spirit, some would come to saving faith even today and all would grow in their faith in you and we would be different, so different that today as we leave, we would be unable to stop speaking about the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The events that are taking place in our midst are very sad, and you know it. You can't turn on the TV or open a news website or read the paper and not be overwhelmed by a sense of the horror of what's taking place in our midst. As we witness how one group of people identify themselves as superior to another is not a new phenomenon, but it is a continued evil. It's evil, seated deeply in the hearts of many people. Hate, violence, and terror spring from all parts of the globe. It's not new but it is before us in new ways and with a greater intensity than we have seen in a long time all around the world and here in our city. The way we think about traveling, attending events has changed. What security is present? Is that a safe place to visit? Should I attend a concert? What's it look like even in a gathering like this? As we think about the design for the new building and things like that, what kind of security issues must we take into consideration? As people protest, some will take time to make a sign, no matter what side they're on. And some will put paint or Sharpie markers or create some other image that they want to hold high. 
And the reason they want to hold it high is so that people can see what it is they believe and what it is they are passionate about. Whatever's on their heart, they hold up high for all present to see. And sometimes as you look closely, even in rallies that are centered on hate and evil, you will see the precious cross. Some will do evil in the name of Jesus, believing that this is his desire. And while individuals or groups use the cross in ways that profoundly and profanely misrepresent the person and work of Jesus Christ, it is because of evil like that and because of the evil that is in my heart and in yours that Jesus had to die on the cross. And it is at the cross where this kind of evil must die. And so as a church, which is part of the church, capital C, we must look to Jesus and ask, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to live? Where are we to speak where we haven't spoken before? How are we to listen in ways we've never listened before? First to you, and then to others. The cross is the place where the Lord, through the powerful work of his Holy Spirit, reveals to us the truth. The truth about the power of the cross and what happened then over 2,000 years ago is all the sin that you see right now, and all the sin that you know in your own heart, and all the sin that you will ever still commit was taken care of as Jesus died. All sin for all time yours, mine, and those who are doing things that we just see as horrific. All of it. All of it. And as Jesus took the blows, as Jesus received the interrogation, as Jesus was the focus of a crowd that was marching and shouting, crucify him, crucify him, he died. He died taking on the full wrath of the Holy Father poured out on him, whose will it was to crush him, the Word of God says, so that all who would trust in him for his work, for his death, for his life, for his resurrection and his reign could live forever. And that's why we focus on the cross. That's why we preach Jesus and preach the power of the one in his life and death and resurrection so that we know it is not man-made. These are not just ideas that enter my heart and mind. It's the gospel truth. And here Jesus, as others were witnessing him doing amazing things and some were wanting him to be a political leader, he begins to turn their attention to what must happen. And what must happen, he reveals, is that he must be lifted up. And that doesn't mean in a powerful, prideful, wonderful political way, but he must be lifted on a tree, killed by the ones who possessed the power. And yet Jesus is the one who made them. And the Father was the one who was ordaining this all. The cross of Jesus Christ is powerful. It's the most recognized symbol in the world. And it is powerful. It is not powerful just because it is a symbol. It's powerful because of what happened there. 
and what continues to happen there because of the cross of Jesus. So this morning, as we, as we look at this text, I want to approach it by asking three very practical questions. Questions upon hearing you might say, well, I know the answer, but I would urge you to, to pause, to listen a little deeper. Because as we answer these questions, we're going to see the essence of life and what Christ really is about and what he's calling us to be. The three questions I want to ask this morning. First, what does it mean to take up your cross? Second, how do we take up our cross? And third, what is the cost of taking up the cross of Jesus? So first, what does it mean to take up your cross? In a word, it means death. The cross is a symbol of death. It was a symbol of torture. The cross was the primary way in which really heinous criminals would be put to death. And a criminal who was judged as guilty would then receive the crossbar and would carry his cross to that place where he would then be lifted up and would spend days on the cross dying. When Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, the denial there is centered on a death. And the death is a death to self. What Jesus is saying is whoever, meaning everyone, anyone that would come after me, anybody who would say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it begins with this denial of self death to self. And what that means is that we as people, recognizing what Jesus himself has said through his holy word, Old Testament and new, is that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is a sinner, fallen short of his glory. So what happens is that the spirit of God begins to illuminate our hearts and we realize that we think deep down that we are the Lord of our life that I'm in control of my life, that I get to live however I want. Jesus says, whoever would come after me must deny himself, die to self. And what that means is our thoughts, our desires, our possessions, our plans, our politics, our hobbies, our passions, our gifts, all fall under the Lordship of Christ. Not just some of them, not just a portion of some of them, but all of them. We live a life denying self. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis speaks about this life. He says the Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. Christ says, I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree. Hand over the whole natural self all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself, 
My own will shall become yours. That's what Jesus is saying here. If we are to be followers of Christ, the first thing that must happen is that we deny self. There is a death. The second thing that happens, though, is that there is a birth. And the birth is given to a new identity. It's more than just an association with Jesus. It is being one with Jesus. It's having union with Christ. It's abiding with Christ. It's not an image of sometimes I'm connected to Christ and sometimes I'm not. Like an electric car, I plug it in and I unplug it. I have power for a while, I run out, I plug back in to get more. It is about a relationship in which you are one with Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what the Word of God says. So the beginning of following Christ begins with this denial of self, which is death to self, and the rebirth, a new life given in Christ. It is that we die to one self, and then we take on a new self. Jesus taught this in the Gospel of John when he spoke about being born again. Paul picks it up in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That doesn't mean we're an improved self, we're a new self. Paul says in Ephesians that we all walked in darkness. He says that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the course of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience or by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He describes all of us that way. We walked along according to the power of the air. You know what he's talking about there? Belonging to Satan and not Christ as Lord. Now, it's interesting because we tend to think about Satanism as if it would be a religion that says, serve Satan. The Satanic Bible was written by a man named Anton LaVey. It was written not that long ago, maybe 40, 50 years, something like that. Interestingly, it never once says, serve Satan. It never says, love Satan. The only command in it, love yourself. Love yourself. The beginning of following Christ Jesus is denial of self, that death, and then a rebirth into a new self where our primary identity is our union with Jesus. This is important. We all pursue identities. As Christians, we have one primary identity. It's his beloved sons and daughters. It's also the only permanent identity we have for all eternity. Everything else will be different, but that one. So to follow Jesus and take up the cross means to deny self. It's a death to take on a new self, which is a new birth and to follow him, which is a journey. For the last year, we've been focusing on the word sojourn. It is a journey. And Jesus would instruct us here that this journey has two aspects. One, it is a journey of suffering. Jesus said later in one of the Gospels, in Matthew, as he's concluding his Sermon on the Mount, he speaks of two roads. There is a wide road that leads to destruction, and many find it. And there is a narrow road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The narrow road is harder. When Jesus says, come follow me, he is saying it is on a road that is narrow and hard. It is going to be a life of suffering. That's why he said, take up your cross. The cross is that instrument. It is an instrument of suffering. 
But the life in Christ is not just filled with suffering. It is also filled with inexpressible joy, unexplainable peace. When you go through the horrors of suffering this side of heaven, and yet you can still rejoice that he has you. Whether you're struggling with a grave disease or a relationship is so sadly broken or your heart and mind experience despair or depression, you know the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. So this life of dying to self, being born in him, having that union and now following him is a life of suffering and a life of inexpressible joy. You know what the great news is? One day for all who are in Christ, that suffering will be no more. And the joy that we cannot even express now will be beyond what we can even imagine now. That is a promise for all who are in Christ. So second question, how do we take up our cross? Well, actually taking up our cross is a death, it is a birth, and it is a journey and it's every day. First, if anyone is to follow Jesus, there is a moment in their life where they take up the cross for the first time. For some, you don't have a specific day, you know a season, maybe you were five or nine. For these little ones who are baptized today, this did not save them. But we trust that there'll be a day and we hope it's early when they say, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They probably won't remember if it's October 5th or November 16th or February 9th. But what they will remember as we tell them this story is that they believed. For some, you have a date, and that's wonderful. But there's a moment when you recognize that Christ has come for you, and you're his, and you trust him. But taking up the cross is not just a one-time thing. It is a one-time thing in the sense that once you are saved, you are saved forever. But it is a daily activity, a daily activity where we die to self, we are born to the newness of his mercies each day, and we follow him in that journey of suffering and that journey of joy. What does it look like? Well, it's hard, isn't it? C.S. Lewis later in Mere Christianity says it so beautifully. Listen to how he writes. He says, this is why the real problem for the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day. Standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. School starts this week or next. Are you excited, moms? Sometimes you are. Dads, do you have the feeling of all that's about to come your way? The 6 a.m. email and you see it and you have a sense of competing with a mom who was up that early to write it? And now the pressure to respond, to look like you're just as on top of it as she is. The animals are coming. The noise is about to increase. And no matter what age and stage you're in, you face it every day. And every day, 
those voices are trying to get you to, do, to rely upon self, to depend on you, to push it all back. And what C.S. Lewis is telling us is that we, in the power of Christ, as newborn creatures, need to take on that quieter perspective where even in those early moments of the day, we die to self and live to Christ. He says we can only do it for moments at first, but from those small moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system because now we are letting him work at the right part of us. It is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or stain which soaks right through. I think that description describes the church in Dallas maybe better than any other. That people go to church, all churches all over a city, they hear a sermon, they paint a little bit of that paint on them, and they walk away and are very little changed. What he's saying is we don't need paint. We need to sit and soak and let the truth of the cross of Jesus soak deep into who we are. That's where transformation takes place. That's what it means to take up your cross daily. So what's the cost? In your Bible, likely, in sections like this, there is a subtitle that's written above it. I want you to know that those subtitles are not inspired of God. Those are not on the same par as Holy Scripture. They can be helpful for you to find things, but sometimes they can be misleading, even just a little. In many Bibles, in the section above where Jesus talks about what it means to follow him, you might have the phrase, the cost of discipleship. That's a pretty good phrase, but it must be accompanied by another phrase that's more important, and that is the cost of non-discipleship. The cost of following Jesus is death to self and abundant life in him. The cost of not following Jesus is described in his very own words. He says in verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And what he's talking about there is abundant life in Christ now and abundant life in him perfectly for all eternity. The cost of following Jesus is real. You may lose your job. You may not think so right now, but there might be a day when somebody finds out you're a member of this church and what we proclaim about Jesus and says, you can't work here anymore or you're not getting the promotion. If it doesn't happen to you, I bet it's gonna happen to our children. That's what's coming. The cost of following Jesus is a life of suffering and a life of inexpressible joy. One will end, one will go on forever. The suffering ends, the joy goes on forever. But the cost of not following Jesus, the cost of not taking up your cross and following him, the cost of not dying to self that you might live in him is eternal separation from him. It's forever. Have you taken up your cross? Have you come to a place in your life, maybe even today, where you say, I need the assurance of knowing I belong to him?
If you don't know, then you probably haven't. There'll be people, as we do each Sunday after the service, in the corners, and I'll be here to pray with you. If you desire today to say, I want to know that I'm in Christ. I want to die to self and live for all eternity because of what Jesus did for me. If you know that you're in Christ, and yet today the struggle has been great, and you admit it, that the world is overwhelming you, come for prayer as well. Because it's at the cross where we experience the power of God's love and mercy. The cross of Jesus is not just a symbol. It is a reality of the God of the universe going and dying that all who would trust in him for that work would live forever. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you taken up your cross? Are you following him? At the cross of Jesus, he will give you everything you need. Let's pray. Christ, you've been gracious to us this day, even answering prayers to keep us present for a few moments. And as we close by singing about the power of your cross, I would ask that you would move in a way that reminds us of what matters most. And Lord, what matters most is making sure that we are right with you. So would you bring, in whatever way is necessary, that reality into every man, woman, and child's heart, even now as I pray, that we would be confident of our standing with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.